Well, I'm going to preach a sermon today. Uh, we had a, a reprieve last week. Luke preached. Uh, he did an incredible job. Uh, actually, it fit right in line with my series. And so I'm going to be able to incorporate some of what he said even this morning in our message. Uh, we've been preaching through, uh, in a different way, the book of Galatians, a way that God kind of inspired me this year. When I read the book of Galatians, I noticed the questions from Paul. I like good questions. I like to ask good questions. And I like to be asked good questions. And so Paul asks some really good questions in this letter. Uh, he asked a question. It was kind of a rhetorical question that we looked at the first week. He said, am I seeking the approval of men or am I seeking the approval of God? What a question for us to ask ourselves, not rhetorically, but analytically, probably all the time. In what I'm doing, am I seeking the approval of men or the approval of God? After we looked at that question, there was another question Paul asked. He asked it in a, in a different way, but I'm going to sum it up today. Pretty much it's the question we should ask. If I'm seeking the approval of God, how do I get that approval? And Paul's question that he posed was a question that's been asked time and time again. Is justification or righteousness found in faith, in works, or some combination of the two? If I'm seeking the approval of God, I've got to know how I'm made righteous. And so Paul basically, he explained, he said that we're made righteous by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's in faith alone that we've been made righteous. So today's question actually is going to follow in line with those. Now that, that I've been made righteous, now that I know my approval comes through faith alone and, I, and I'm seeking the approval of God, here's a question. It's a warning. Um, Galatians chapter 4 is where our question is going to be this morning. Formerly... When you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or are rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Underlined, do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Luke's message last week was called being made new. Uh, Paul is saying to the church in Galatia or the churches in that region, you had a way that you followed, but you experienced the promise of Jesus Christ. And when you experienced his promise, you were made new. You became a new creation. And now the struggle, remember what Paul is addressing with the churches? He's addressing leaders who are coming into the churches and they're trying to add to salvation. They're trying to add to requirements for being in the church. And what are they using to try to add to the requirements? They're using the law. What Paul's dealing with are the, the super Jews who are coming in and they're trying to force the law on Christians. These are Jews and Gentile Christians and he's trying to force the ways that were law that was a form of slavery. It was a form of bondage for the people of God. And he said, why are you even considering allowing those voices to speak in your life again? Why do you want to be enslaved? Why do you want to be entrapped by the things that you've been set free from? It's really what I'm reading here, the context in Scripture. Galatians 4, before this, so... Also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. This is where we were. We were once in slavery to these forces, these spiritual forces of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, 
born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you're his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who also calls out Abba Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're his child, God has made you also an heir. He's saying to people, the position you once were in. You were once in a position of slavery, but because of what God did, because of who God is, you've now become not a slave, but a son. You want to talk about being made new. That should change us. That should free us. That should compel us as to who we are in Christ. I was once a slave. In Romans, he talks about being slaves to sin. I was once a slave, but now I'm no longer a slave, but I'm a son. Now, a slave and a son have two very different roles. One has a whole lot more freedom than the other. Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Paul is dealing with an issue that has followed the people of God from the promise of covenant to today. The people of God, we always have this problem. We always have this pattern that we've been set free, but for some reason we engage in or we, we contemplate or even allow ourselves to do what? To be enslaved by that which we've been set free from. Have you ever seen someone trapped by something they've been set free from? Drives you absolutely crazy when you see it. Drives you nuts when you witness it. You see someone has been set free and then and, and let's just say they were in, in, in prison for something they did. They come out from prison. They do the exact same thing and they go to the, the exact same, same place. They've been freed but now they go back into slavery. And, and Paul was saying, again going back to last week, you know when we have uh, sought the approval of God, we've been made righteous by faith, we now have a freedom that is in Christ. That's the newness that's in our lives. I was once in bondage, but now I am free. I am absolutely free. I am 100% free. But Paul is watching the churches in Galatia, and I believe that we can watch Christians in America entertaining that which once enslaved them. This is a pattern we see in the Old Testament. Today we're going to read from the book of Exodus just a little bit. The book of Exodus starts right after Genesis. If you don't know Genesis, Exodus. Uh, Genesis, uh, it goes through the, you know, the beginning of the church or the beginning of creation up until the life of Joseph. Remember, Joseph had been uh, sold by his brothers into slavery. He rose up and, and God's people were delivered through Joseph's life. So the people... The Israelites moved to Egypt, and that's where we pick up in Exodus chapter 1. Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. There's a time that has passed. In that time, the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful, and they multiplied greatly. They increased in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. But that land was Egypt that was filled with them. So that's important when we hear this. Then a new king 
to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies. They'll fight against us, and they'll leave the country. So, in verse 11, they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built Pithom and Ramses in Estor cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. They worked with them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and all kinds of work in the fields. In their harsh Harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The state of the people of God, the Israelites, God's chosen, was a state of oppression. It was a state of bondage. It was a state of ruthlessness in which they were under. They were enslaved in Egypt. The next verses that I don't have up there talk about, they decided that they were going to kill all the firstborn of, of the Hebrews, right? Any boy that was born, they were going to kill them. And so, so that's where we get this story of Moses, and he's put in the basket, and he comes out. But God sees His people, Exodus chapter 3, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. This is Moses in the burning bush. God speaks to him, and he's calling him to do what? God's calling from Moses' life. He says, I have chosen you to do what? I'm sending you to Pharaoh to do what? Bring my people, the Israelites, up out of Egypt. We know this story. We've heard this story. But it's a compelling story. Moses is called to set God's people free from slavery. His calling is to bring God's people up out of slavery. We see everything that happens that, that causes this. There's, there's Pharaoh. He doesn't want to do it. And then there's all the plagues, the gnats, the, the death of livestock, frogs, all those crazy things, the death of the firstborn. Moses finally, Pharaoh says, get him out. So he starts to lead the people out. The people get scared because Pharaoh decides he's going to chase them. There's this whole thing with the, the Red Sea that parts and lets them walk through on dry land, swallows up Pharaoh's armies. Uh, there's the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. All these things are happening to God's people. Now, I want to put myself, can you imagine... Generations of slavery. These people, all they've known is being in bondage and being oppressed. Can you imagine, remember, the Facebook memory of the Red Sea collapsing over Pharaoh's army? Can you imagine the joy that they felt? Can you imagine what it felt like to know that we were finally free from that which oppressed us, the one that God described as ruthless, that, that he saw their suffering. 
But then, the wilderness? We know the story, uh, Exodus chapter 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam in the desert and came to the desert or and came to the desert of sin, appropriately named, which is between Elam and Sinai, and on the fifteenth day of the second month they had come out of Egypt. The fifteenth day of the second month. So what is that? Like forty five days they've been out of Egypt. Forty five days they've been living as free people. Forty-five days they've been living with, without being oppressed. They've been free from, from, from rulers. Now, when I think about this new king Exodus 1 talked about, he was governing in fear. I'll tell you what, there's one thing to being a slave master, but I guarantee the oppression is much greater when you're afraid. The oppression they dealt with, the slavery they dealt with, was beyond our comprehension. Forty-five days in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. When I read that, the heart of the people that I read in that, Moses, can we go back to Egypt? Is that a fair understanding? I mean, is that fair in what we're seeing? I know they say if only we would have died but I think they'd rather live in slavery than... They're asking to go back where? Paul says, do you really want to be enslaved by them again? The people of God, because of their moment in the wilderness, because of where they're at in the wilderness, they begin to grumble. Why? Because they're hungry. They begin to grumble and complain towards Moses, and they start to position themselves in their hearts and minds to go back to a place of slavery. Moses gives them, well, God gives them more than they can eat. We see this again. The whole Israelite community, this is in Exodus 17, set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim or Rephidim, I'm not exactly sure, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water. And they, there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Why does the bondage become so attractive? Why is it... That in the midst of wilderness, and see what happens here. What happens in the wilderness is that the people of God cannot be content, right? Isn't that really what happened? I mean, the emotional high of coming out and being set free from slavery and bondage to the low of being just a little bit hungry, and I'm guessing they were pretty thirsty. I mean, it was the desert. I mean, I get it. But all of a sudden, because they couldn't be content with where they were and content with the God who brought them out, I mean, this second one, they'd already seen him send quail that was as high as, as whatever, all over the land, manna that they could have. They've already seen the provision of God, yet they continue to grumble and complain. I want to warn you, in our faith walk, sometimes when we become discontent, we look back towards where we came from. You hear what I'm saying? 
And sometimes it's not just our voice, but it's the voices of those who are around us. So this said the whole community grumbled and complained towards Moses. The whole community started to say, man, remember that stew? What did they forget? You don't hear them saying, remember the whips. You don't see him saying, remember the long days. You don't see him remember the oppression. You don't see him saying, remember all that we endured. Remember the pot of stew. Well, there was someone else who sold a lot for a pot of stew. I've I got to work on this theology, but I, I'm pretty con- content with it for myself. This life is a wilderness. In this life, we're in the wilderness. I've been set free when I accept Jesus Christ, that moment that I remembered in communion today, but I'm not yet at the land of promise. I'm experiencing the provision and goodness of God. I'm seeing him do signs and wonders, part red seas, a pillar of cloud. He's given me the spirit of God who dwells in me, but I'm not yet at the promised land. I'm not yet at the place flowing with milk and honey where I will will never hunger and thirst again. You know what? I'm in I'm in wilderness. At times in my wilderness there's brokenness. At times in my wilderness I'm hungry. At times in my wilderness I'm thirsty. At times in my wilderness things aren't great. And you know what happens when things aren't great? People who have things aren't great find people who have things aren't great. And we begin to talk and we begin to grumble and we begin to complain and we start thinking about, man, life was so good back then. Why? Why do you want to be enslaved again? For a pot of stew? Sometimes we're enslaved again for a feeling. Sometimes we're enslaved again for acceptance. Sometimes we're enslaved again for an emotion. Sometimes we're enslaved again from a habit. Sometimes we're enslaved again just because we're looking for an instant gratification, whatever it might be. Why do you want to be enslaved again? I promise you, God is with you in the wilderness. And I promise you, he's taking you where he needs you to go. And I promise you, he will give you water from a rock. He will give you manna from on high. He is the daily bread. He will meet every need that you have if you continue with him in the wilderness but man Egypt was so good we had sweet campfires and we got to eat some stew I'm telling you this word that Paul's speaking when it comes to leaders bringing the law back. I believe that God is still speaking. It's something we see in Exodus. It's something we see in Galatians. And it's something we see today. People have a tendency to go back to being entrapped, to go back to what has held them in bondage. Child of God, we do not need to go back to what was. Second Peter, Peter writes this a little bit different. These people are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. 
where they mouth empty and boastful words by appealing to lustful desires of the flesh. They entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom. While they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are entangled in it and are overthrown, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. Paul, how am I made righteous? How do I have the approval of God? It would be better off not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. That proverb, he's quoting Proverbs 26. It says, as a dog returns to its vomit is a man who returns to his folly. That's such a vivid picture from Scripture. We've all seen that. We've all been grossed out by that moment where a dog throws up something and then they go and start to lap it up with their mouth. I want to tell you, their body didn't agree with it the first time and their body's not going to agree with it the second time. You're going to be no better off when you go back to that which you ingested or uh, regested or shot out of your mouth. I just made up a word. Whatever you want to call it, you, you shot it out of your mouth because your body wouldn't accept it. Yet the foolishness of us is that we go back to that which made us sick, to that which never fulfilled us, to that which, which was holding us slaves, beating us and abusing us, and we consume it again, expecting that it's going to do something better for us. Is a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. I'll use a dog. I don't have pigs. I don't have dogs either, but that's besides the point. I did. You know what happened every time we'd wash my dog when I was in Kentucky? You let it outside, and what does it do? It rolls in manure. Poop! Right? How frustrating! I just got you clean! Just washed all that filth off of you. And you go outside and you roll in it again. I don't think we're too far from the dogs at times. You heard what I'm saying? Like Paul's question, his warning, his concern, his, his heart... For, for the church, his heart for, for the people of God was, you've been set free. We've got something to remember. We've got the power of Jesus Christ that has set us free from, from the control of sin. It is for freedom that we've been made free. That's who we are in Jesus Christ. Yet we, for some reason, we get washed up and we want to go rolling that crap again. Sorry, rowing. Right? And it's foolishness. It's foolishness to those who believe. But it's fulfilling to the dog who's confused. It's foolishness 
for you and I to see it. It's foolishness when we see the freedom that someone has come from, yet we see them go back to that thing once again. Paul's warning, the warning for the church today, the warning for you this morning is if you have sought the approval of God, if you have made the commitment that my heart, my life, I want to approve God and God alone, you found out the reality of Paul's gospel, which we preach. It makes us new when we've been made righteous by our faith in Jesus Christ. Yet in the wilderness, you start to wonder about the slavery. You start to look at Egypt more than you look at him. And I promise, it comes when you're hungry. I promise, it comes when you're not satisfied. I promise, it comes when you're thirsty or when you're afraid. I promise it comes when you stop looking at the pillar of cloud and you start looking at what you have or you don't have. That's when you start thinking about Egypt and what was. That's when you start thinking about a bowl of stew or whatever else that you must have. That feeling, that emotion, that moment that you're seeking in your life and you allow yourself, you willfully allow yourself to walk from a place of freedom to a place of bondage. Do you? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You can come forward. You figure something out. Please and thank you. I love you. You're the best. This morning, I hope Paul's question is more of a warning. I hope it opens our eyes. I hope it's a question that, that we ask ourselves. You know, for them, Paul had already pointed out their problem. He had already told them what, what was enslaving or entrapping them. It was the law and the works of law that were entrapping them. And so he said to them very clearly, are you allowing yourself to be entrapped by that again? I will say what entraps us today is called sin. They were in the desert of sin. That's where Israel was. And sometimes we allow ourselves to be entrapped, to be enslaved by sin again. Are you really going to allow yourself to go back to that place that you've been set free from, to go back to that brokenness, to go back to that bond? to go back to that abuse that was caused by that sin in your life. We were all, that's what Paul said, we were under spiritual forces of this world. Those spiritual forces are apart from the will of God. But we've been set free. This morning it's a warning. Maybe you recognize Maybe you haven't been satisfied. Maybe you've been thirsty. Maybe you've been afraid. Maybe your wilderness has not been what you expected. Look at Maybe there's voices in your life saying, hey, remember the old days? 
Remember what it was like without a care in the world? We did what we wanted, how we wanted. Maybe there's others around you who are discontent. Maybe there's others around you who are complaining, and when you get together, you just see all that's wrong with the world. I want to warn you. The path to slavery is lined with discontent. The road back to bondage is missing what God is doing. I will tell you God is working in your life whether you see it or know it. I will tell you God is still moving mountains. He's still making ways in the wilderness. He's still providing. He's still loving. He's still showing. He's still demonstrating. Yeah, you may not see it. Yeah, you may not know it. But I want you to hear this morning that God is. He said He was, He is, and He will always be. He said He will never. His promise to the Israelites and His promise to you today is He will never leave you or forsake you. Whether you feel alone or not, whether you feel unprovided for, left to die or not, God is with you. Stop looking at Egypt and start looking at Him. Stop looking at what was and start looking at what's to come. Father, this morning in this place, you know every one of us. You know where we are. You know what we are experiencing. You know what? What needs? What hurts? What fears? What struggles? God, you know where we've come from. And your heart was that we would no longer be in suffering. Just as you sent Moses to deliver Israelite through his life, you sent Jesus Christ to deliver us from a place of suffering to a place of promise, from a place of bondage to a place of freedom. God, that is the promise that you've given us. Help us to live in freedom when we're free. Help us to not bring bondage back into the promise of God, but leave that behind completely. For the one who's hungry, God, I pray today you give them manna and quail. For the one who's lost, show them a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. For the one who's thirsty, springs of living water in their lives. For the one who's lonely, the presence of God. For the one who's wondering, the answers and the counsel of the Holy Spirit. I pray our lives, the position of our heart, the attitude of our mind, the way in which we live, we we answer Paul's question resounding. You wish to be enslaved again? No. I want everything that is mine in Jesus Christ. Speak to us in Jesus' name.
Amen. I'm going to have Tam lead us in a song. I'm going to open the altars up. If you want to pray about the sermon this morning, if you want to pray about something else in your life that's going on that you just need someone to stand with you and agree with you, if you want to pray about being set free from a place of slavery, I know the way it's Jesus Christ. I'm not really worried what the slavery is. I know the one who sets us free is Jesus Christ. And I can promise you what God said to the Israelites, what he spoke to Moses at the burning bush, I can see you in your suffering. I can promise Jesus Christ this morning is saying to you, I know what you're enduring, but I've made a way for you to be free from that completely. Set free wholly through Jesus Christ. I'm going to read this verse again, Galatians 5, 1. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that has set you free. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that has brought you from a place of oppression to a place of providence. Do not be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. The Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. And may you never, ever, go back to Egypt. May you never be enslaved again because the Spirit of God, Jesus Christ, has set you free. Amen? Be blessed.